Uh, okay, so we're actually uh, we're doing the Whole Life, Whole Bible series for the, for the whole year. Uh, these three sermons, uh, we had one last week. This one, uh, these three are all about corruption. Uh, so we're going through Genesis somewhat, a little bit, and then we'll move on to another book as we progress through the Bible. But uh, for this one, it's called The Fruit of Fruit Eating. Uh, and last week, we looked at this first moment uh, the relationship between mankind and God was broken. Uh, we looked at the moment Adam and Eve took of the fruit, uh, the fruit that would decide mankind's future. So this week we now look at this ripple effect. What did that cause today as we look around us? What's the effect on us uh, of that moment, that decision uh, that Adam and Eve took? I talk, talked rather passionately uh, about the frustration of Ad, that I had in Adam, uh, that he had not looked after his wife, and he had not looked after and stood beside her uh, as she was being tempted um, by the snake. So uh, I won't do that again this week, okay? We, we've done that, and we'll move on, <laughs> but we will touch on, on this aspect again, because it's important to know how this relationship works. But we're going to look at this. How does it impact us today? So Genesis 3 verse 8 is our verse Uh, that we're kind of going to hang everything on. And this is what it says. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, Lord God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Uh, I did touch on this aspect last week that describes uh, Adam and Eve uh, in this uh, unique relationship with God at this point. Uh, that even the only time we can talk about God walking uh, with Adam, or certainly walking with human, as it were, uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, which is just fascinating because we don't really see that again. Uh, we might see that with Moses. We might see actually God coming to, coming to uh, Moses that sees him, but not really see him because he can't look at him because you know, what will happen to us when we see God? We know what happens when we see God. Uh, so there's not really that same aspect again and this is the only time really where you get to see God walking with Adam and Eve with this sense of being together and in perfect relationship so close to God uh, that they they thought hiding from him was something possible that somehow hiding behind a bush or hiding behind something would get them away from God but that very aspect of hiding just describes the depravity of sin that was then brought upon uh, humanity. The fact that suddenly hiding was a thing. And that wasn't there before, right? That wasn't even a concept that probably would have entered the Garden of Eden. It was a perfect, fantastic relationship with God. But this, so this moment describes not a special time anymore that they would have spent with God, but now a time where they were no longer in good relationship with God. I think as a child, many of you probably would agree, I also was thinking about uh, this thing of hiding away from parents. Um, And I certainly had my own fair share of hiding away from my parents, particularly my mum, who would, when I knew I did something wrong, uh, certainly after school when she came to pick me up, I would run around in the playground on purpose, knowing that I'd done something wrong, thinking she'll forget about it if I just run around and she doesn't see me. I don't know about your mum or dad even, but 
my mom had this thousand-yard stare. So she knew. And she didn't have to shout at me. She would get my attention, and from yards and even miles away, she would just stare. And I would stop. And I knew I had to come back. I didn't want to go back, of course. And I wonder if there's the same sense of Adam and Eve here where they're just hiding away and thinking, well, if he doesn't see us, we don't have to answer to him. It will go away. But no matter how much we try and hide, it really doesn't change anything about what has happened. I, of course, have the pleasure of doing that with had the pleasure of doing that with our own son as he was growing up, and of course learn, you learn from your own parents, don't you, about how to parent, uh, and so I developed the thousand-yard stare uh, and, and managed to just stop him in his tracks. Sometimes just a whisper in the ear would just stop him when he was getting a little bit too spoiled, shall we say. But we have our own ways, don't we, of dealing with our children, our grandkids. Uh, but God doesn't need to stare, doesn't need to shout or chase. Adam and Eve thought that was the case. God knows and sees all things. He sees into the hearts of everyone. He is everywhere. So then we go back to our text. God asks Adam, he says, uh, I heard you, uh, sorry, this is Adam himself, says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. And this is, this is a significant moment uh, in the relationship between Adam and Eve and God. Uh, this is a, a very significant moment. Because there's this idea that is being presented here that actually, suddenly Adam and Eve are different people. Suddenly the people that God was in relationship with are now different people. Adam is saying things like, I am hiding from you. Imagine this previous, this wasn't, as I said, a thing that really existed. But now God's seeing these entirely different people. And two things are happening here. Adam says, I heard you in the garden. And I have no doubt that Adam had heard God in the garden before the fall. I would have been entirely natural with the creator God. Then he says, I was naked, so I hid. What Adam and Eve has gone, uh, have gone from is this very natural relationship but the only thing that mattered was God and the focus on him into one where Adam and Eve feel much more at ease and natural with the worldly, materialistic image of themselves. We learn later that they uh, cover themselves, they hide because they were naked. We certainly read here also the beginnings of that self-awareness almost that uh, the, the worldly aspect is starting to cre- or has creeped in to creation and corrupted the relationship with God. So when God encounters them, it's like he's having this conversation with two people that he doesn't know. Of course he does know them, because he's God, right? But from our aspect, there is a change in that relationship. And then God says in verse 11, he says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Is this like a classic parent thing to do? Your mum or dad will know you've done something, but they will ask the question anyway and say, did you go and do that, the thing I told you not to do? And at some point you go, you know I did that. You know, you know I did that. 
Why are you asking me? You know I did that. I wonder this is where we get this from, you know. Inbuiltness is this want to people to admit they're wrong. So we say, did you do that? It's who told you that you were the center of the universe? Who told you that you could have the same knowledge as, as God? Who made you think that my command was powerless? And what does Adam do that we have done as kids ourselves, even as adults today, that people do to this very day? Verse 12, he says, the man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It's her. That's not the right one. <laughs> yeah. Eve says, it's not here. I've got the verse, but I haven't put it in. Eve says, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Do you see what, what's going on? Do you see the, the passing of the blame, the passing of the puck? I thought about this and I thought, we, we do this, don't we? And whenever we're caught out doing something, what do we do uh, except just to go back to the thing that probably wasn't anything to do with us? And we go, well, hang on. Maybe there's a reason why I did that and it's probably not my fault. It's probably about three decisions ago, about two weeks ago, and it's nothing to do with me. I only did that because someone else did this. And yet, this is, when, when this is written, as, as it were, when God's uh, inspired man to write this, this is a long time ago. <laughs> and yet God knows us so well. And yet we do this today. If you're telling me that God doesn't know us, you're wrong. Genesis shows us how well he does know us. It was her fault. She made me do it. It was his fault. He tricked me. But then, of course, comes the ejection from eternal life, banishment from the Garden of Eden. And it's one that should strike up stark imagery for us. It's one that is meant to tell us we were in a, a perfect place with God, a perfect relationship, but now expelled from his perfect relationship. Verse 9, this is describing Garden of the Garden of Eden. It says, all kinds of trees grow out the ground and trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Then we have this description of what it might be outside, like, uh, outside of the Garden of Eden, what they may have been expelled into. Verse 5 says, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. Let's see another verse there. Uh, there was no one to work the ground. So Adam and Eve could have been in this place after they were banished. Uh, uh, and it's, it's key to note that God has not left them with nothing. He's left them with the beginnings of something. But it's no Garden of Eden. Expelled them into a place where they would then have to bear the pain and toil of sin that has been committed. But then forever more, the world that they would live in would be inhospitable and toilsome. God told them that. It'd be no easy ride, and so today we still 
are living in this toilsome and inhospitable place. Our relationship with God was fractured, and the environment we live in is also broken. The repercussions of the fall not only affect human beings, but because we are the ones under judgment, we treat the rest of God's creation with contempt. Simply put, we are children lashing out at the perceived unfairness of our own doing. There's one right there, isn't there? Someone bibbing their horn. (laughs) This is unfair. And yet, God is trying to show us that we had the choice. We could have stayed with him. So all of our relationships are never perfect. They too become inhospitable and toilsome. You only have to look at social media to get a real unfiltered look at how broken we are. We are able to hide away and hide behind anonymity. How much has that just become a vehicle by the way that we can hide and just condemn everyone as an anonymous person? You only have to look at the crimes that are committed that we commit on one another to get a sense of what really lurks behind the shiny veneer, the false front, which, by the way, we all have to come to terms with because it is not just that we can blame that person who might have murdered someone. We are all capable of depths of terribleness because we are human. We are broken. says here in John, and there's a reason why I skipped verses here and I'll come to it, but 1 John 1, uh, 6, 8 and 9 says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim to we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. These are stark words. For us to somehow pass on the buck to someone else and say, I would never do that. I'm not that bad person. We have lost the meaning of what it was for Jesus Christ to give his life on the cross. It was not to pass the buck. The buck stopped with Jesus and he never passed it on. I know this is going into dark places, but there's no time to tiptoe around depravity of sin. There's no time. It is what it is. But in recognition of the sin and brokenness, God doesn't leave us there. This is what is amazing. It's so anti-world that people can't understand. And so we're here to tell them. They go, well, I've done nothing wrong. I'm a good person. Have you thought about the bad things you may have thought about people? People are so scared of brokenness. And yet if we are not there to tell people that if if you get to brokenness, Jesus Christ can rescue you. And yet even on the news we see, don't we, Caroline Flack, who committed suicide, 
again, social media, things, people just constantly piling on condemnation. I'm righteous, you're not. It is a sorry state of affairs of the human race. But if we admit our deception, admit our guilt, give it to God, this is what John says in between those verses. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's awesome, isn't it? just give it over. Brokenness is the way to restoration. The world doesn't tell you that. The world tells you if you're broken, you're broken. It's over for you. It's the end of life for you. So we can't sit on our hands and not share the gospel with people. We cannot be afraid that people might be offended. Because They'll get over the offence and the hope and we pray that they come to Jesus. And that's all we do and we leave it with God. We say, Lord, do your will. But you see, the Creator God shows us He is in the very first lines of the Bible. He shows us that He's there all along, even through the terrible moment of sin he still remains he's still there it says in genesis 1 verse 1 to 3 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth now the earth was formless empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the waters and god said let there be light and there was light this is the message of the gospel let there be light and there will be light. There's no negotiation. There's no condition. Lord, may your light shine in this community. Let there be light. It is not down to your eye how well or impressive we do that. It is simply to go and serve Jesus. And Jesus, bring light to this community. There is no dark place that can be dark enough for God to bring the light of salvation. John 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love this line, because you know what it is? It's all in the present tense. It's moment to moment. It doesn't say, the light happened, the light shined, and the darkness was not there anymore. The light shines in the darkness, that's present, and the darkness has not overcome it, that's present. Day to day, moment to moment, darkness never wins. Once the light shines into the darkness, it never wins again. It never comes back. God is there. It cannot be overcome. But it also means that no matter how much we want to blame someone else, no matter how much we want to hide away from God, he's already seen us and he sees us. If people think they have the anonymity of the internet or social media, it is only for this lifetime. I was speaking with someone yesterday 
And they were aggrieved by how the good people had been taken by God. And I referred him to Ecclesiastes. I said, there are people in this life, even if they're evil, will feel like they're getting their own way. And they will think they're winning. And they'll think they'll get everything. But it'll only be for this lifetime. Because when they die, they will have to face the maker. They will have to face God. And he gave me a hug. We get trapped in this thing of good and bad people. We get bitter about God. And our relationship starts to deteriorate. If we don't trust in why the Lord does what he does, even when we don't understand it, we haven't trusted God in the first place. Instead, we should appreciate, just like we did with Reg yesterday, appreciate that time we had. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Because that was for a purpose, so that we could all be together and learn something of the Creator God and Jesus Christ, so that we may go forward. When we face God on that day, when we come to Him, God will not be encumbered or befuddled by IT, by firewalls, by VPNs, by fake names, or incognito private modes on internet browsers. He will not be deterred or fooled in any way. He will know every word that has left our lips, every thought that has passed through our minds. Psalm 69 verse 5 says, You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. But glory to God, this is not the end of the line. And at least it doesn't have to be. Today we have another opportunity to come back to God and lay out all to him all of our iniquities, all of the things that has affected our relationship with him. And yet again he will forgive. Ever forgiving God. Our final destination is not set unless we choose that destination. John 8, verse 12. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, what Adam failed to do in admitting his brokenness and sin by passing the buck and not taking ownership of it, we today have a chance to be redeemed through the blood of Christ. We did that today in communion. We were looking for that communion with Christ. So today we must urge each other, petition each other, equip, build up, encourage one another. Anyone that hears this message, it's not too late. The admission of our brokenness is not so we can be left in a useless mess. For when we're truly honest with God about our sins, something amazing happens. I'm going to read Psalm 32 because this is one of those amazing books in Psalms. Uh, chapters in Psalms. It is simply amazing. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. I love that. I love that. The admission of sin brings rescue to the soul. So when we feel like hiding, hiding God, don't hide from him. When we feel like blaming someone else, take a look at ourselves first. Just as we see when God reminded Adam about that moment where it all stemmed from. Genesis 3, 17. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. You will eat food from it all of the days of your life. I wonder if Adam had that after the horse's bolted moment. Ah, why did I do that? Why wasn't I the husband I should have been? Why wasn't I taking my role as I should have been, protecting my wife? In that verse, God does not say, because Eve did this to you. And I believe that the very fact that he left Adam till last was significant. He said to Adam, because you listened, and which God commanded you, Adam, to tell Eve, to protect her. Adam made the choice and did not lead in the role that God gave him. But let's be clear, Eve had her mind as well. Eve still made her choice too, and also did not live up to the role that God has made for her. Maybe put it like this, equally liable but individually accountable. We each have a role in God. Adam and Eve decided that wasn't for them. But when we open ourselves to this great redeemer, we are redeemed. There's no toing and throwing. It is done, as Jesus said. When we admit our frailty, we are restored. As we work on our relationship with God continually, so we will see the world uh, will be impacted by something otherworldly. We are, in Jesus Christ, otherworldly. This is not our home. But we are here to be otherworldly to other people. To the world in which is lost to sin, is broken. That might be toilsome and inhospitable, but it's not beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. So when we fail, go to God. When we have victory, go to God. Think of anything else, go to God. The restoration in relationship with Jesus is one that perseveres in focusing on him and him alone. 
perseverance. Being a Christian and knowing what it is to be one, Jesus did not mince his words. It will be hard and you will face opposition. But because we have eternity with Jesus, then actually this is nothing more than holding me here until I go to him. But actually whilst I'm here, let me go and share the gospel so that others may come and find him. So let's desire to be otherworldly. Let's desire not to be of this world, in this world, but not of it. Not conforming to the pattern of this world, but instead asking God to be with us as we seek him in the mission field to share the one true redeeming love of Jesus Christ. We now know because God has revealed to us our sin, but now we can be redeemed. So let's tell everyone else about it. Let's pray and then we'll worship one more time. Father, you are awesome in power that you gave your son that we may live as a new creation in Christ today. But Lord, let us not waste the opportunity, opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Lord, we are not here to wait out the time so we can be with you. Rather, we are readying ourselves for when we will be with you. So Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come amongst us, work within us so that we may identify and see the opportunities you are presenting us to share the gospel, to be gospel messengers, to be disciples of an awesome, powerful God. And Lord, let us not measure by our own effort what that means. Let's just trust in you and leave that to you, because you are the only one who can redeem, and you are the only one that can save. So Lord, we open our hearts to you this morning, and say, do your will within us, Lord. Bring us to a closer relationship this week, Lord, that we may see our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen.